This is a recording made in the Chapel of the Open Book and is number eight of the series The Form of Sound Words and the subject before us is the word blessing. I'd like you first of all, if you will, to turn to Romans the 15th chapter. And some of you may say, well I was expecting we'd start straight off with Ephesians. Well this is going to lead to it. Romans 15 verse 29. Romans 15 verse 29. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now whether Paul realised just all that he said doesn't matter, for that was true. You will see that he'd finished a whole series. Verse 19, Round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. One part of his work was over. And now, now he says, uh, verse 24, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. Now whether he ever reached Spain, we do not know. But he was going to call at Rome on the way. But now he says in verse 25, I go up to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. He asks that they may, they may um, pray for him. Verse 30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, but that's the very thing that got him put in prison. He went back to Jerusalem. He brought a gift from the Gentiles. They kicked up such a row because they saw him go into the temple. He was apprehended. He was put into prison in Caesarea, and afterwards he went to Rome, but not as a free man. So, part of his plan was altered, but not God's purpose. God intended that he should go to Rome. And in that Roman prison, God answered that statement that he, uh, he put almost as a prayer. He says, but when I do come, oh, he says, when I do come, I believe and I'm sure I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So now we open the page at Ephesians chapter 1. The first two verses are the address on the envelope and the salutation. The very first word in our calling, the very first word in the epistle written to give us our position is the word blessed. The very first word, blessed. And it's not asking for blessing. It's not saying, oh, do please bless me. It says, oh, blessed be God who hath blessed us. Isn't that symptomatic? We've got it already in Christ. All we can do is to reflect it back and say, Blessed be God who hath blessed us. When you're teaching children, there is a need to remember that you must go, Hear a word, there a little, hear a little, precept upon precept, line upon line, over and over again, so that they get it. But if you're speaking to adults, it should be, only necessary to say a thing plainly once and go on. Well, you'll discover that is rather a character 
in some of the terms used in the prison epistles, because those to whom these epistles addressed are reckoned to be adult, grown-up believers. The only occurrence of the word blessing in the whole of Paul's prison ministry is in that one verse. He never says it again. You see, you could emphasize a thing by saying it over and over and over again. You couldn't miss the word righteousness or justify when you read Romans. Or you couldn't miss the emphasis upon faith as they were against works of law in Galatians. But here, it stands out in all its solitary oneness. Blessed. Blessing. Never again said. And it's true of other key words in these prison epistles. Accepted in the beloved. What a precious thing that is. Never again does he use it in the prison epistles. Never. We are told in the second chapter that a part of our blessed position is we are reckoned to be seated together with him. Never says it again. So you see, we want to be careful when we are reading those epistles that belong to our calling, lest we miss something through just being too casual. Blessed be God who hath blessed us. Now perhaps we'll notice, first of all, the fact which we've already seen in the story of Balaam and Balak that blessing is just the very opposite to cursing. But as it gives us another point of view, if we read another section, Deuteronomy chapter 27, you will see that this is most intentional. Deuteronomy 27. Verse 11, And Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when ye are come over Jordan. And in verse 13, And these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse. So the tribes were divided. Some gave the conditions that would bring blessing. Some gave the warnings that would bring the cursing. Blessing and cursing. And in this same uh, chapter, I think, if you all notice, uh, in verse 5, no, wait a minute. No, in another context, the Lord tells them that he would bless them in basket and in store. Their blessings were not spiritual blessings. They came from God, but they belonged to their earthly calling as a kingdom of the earth. But we are told in our context and in our epistle that our blessings are all spiritual. Well now suppose we notice another feature. That um, whenever God makes a start in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you can see it, he pronounces a blessing. Oh, what a testimony to the frailty of human nature, isn't it? Genesis 1.22 Here's where Adam is in, in, uh, introduced into the story. The first man made in the image of God coming direct from the hand of his maker and the word is in Genesis one. Verse 22, 
And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters of the seas. And then presently, verse 26, Let us make man. Verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. God blessed them. Adam, the first of the human race. Now, when Noah came out of the ark, he was a second Adam. He started all over again with just a little family. And the moment he comes out of the ark, Genesis ninth chapter, first verse, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Many words used to Adam, repeated again to Noah, God bless them. And when we take a step further to Genesis 12, and Abraham becomes the father of a great nation, the first man, Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So you see, that's how God starts off with anyone. Whether it be Adam, or whether it be Noah, or whether it be Abraham, whether it be the father of the race, or Noah, the one who began the fresh start in the days after the flood, or whether it be the call of Abraham to be the father of the great nation, blessing them. And then, of course, you see Noah failed. Abraham wandered and failed in some ways. But there's the start. Well, now there's another feature. Not only does God give this, give this word, blessing, when he starts them off, but there is a, a thought in the uh, book of Numbers, chapter 6, that blessing is associated with some response on the part of the believer. You know, in the last three verses of Numbers, the uh, last four verses in uh, Numbers 6, we have the high priest's blessing. He says, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. But that comes at the end of a chapter which is devoted to the, the uh, rules and laws of a Nazarite. Verse 3. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. shall drink no vinegar or wine or vinegar or strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that be made of the vine tree from the kernels even unto the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled. It's an extraordinary picture of separation. And when that chapter is finished, you see, when that chapter is finished, those who are separated like that unto the Lord, have this tacked onto them, this high priest's blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. 
So in a measure, there is, uh, first of all, the giving of this without reserve by God, but also there is a suggestion that there should be some echo in the heart of the one who receives it, as though the um, fact that it's not deserved should not make you careless with regard to your life and walk. Now, Psalm 67, the first few verses may give us a word too here. Psalm 67. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Is he? That's picking up this high priest blessing as a consequence of the Nazarite position. That thy way may be known upon the earth and thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. All let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. There's Israel, but how careful it is that God should be praised, and the God who blesses them should be blessed. Well then, the next thought is that there are two words in the Old Testament that are translated bless, which I think we ought to know. Psalm 95, verse 6, will give us one. Psalm 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. But you say, I thought we're going to look at the word bless. Yes, because the word bless, barak, B-A-R-A-K, means to bend the knee. It means to invoke a blessing. It is sort of bowing in the presence of the only one who can bless you. So there's the first, one of the first meanings of the word to bless. But there's another one, which is the consequence of blessing. And that is Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not, you remember. And that's the word happy. You know how so many times you hear that the one great thing that matters most is what makes a person happy? Well, I think the more you seek for happiness by itself, the less you'll find it, friends. The more you pursue that which is right and true for your own life and calling, happiness comes without looking for it. And here we have, happy is the man who is not spending all his time trying to find happiness, but spends all his time in seeking to walk in harmony with the mind and will of his God. So now we come to the New Testament, once again to the epistle to the Ephesians. And here, this particular word, blessing, is a word that has entered into our human language, ordinary English language I mean. It is the word eulogy. And now very often that means a bit of flattery. Alas. You have a public dinner and some person who wants to, who is going to be honoured after the dinner is over and um, they've, they feel quite satisfied with themselves and one another. Somebody stands up and gives a eulogistic speech. And honestly, 
I, I should imagine the man who's being spoken about wonders whether they're talking about somebody else for the things they say about him. But God doesn't flatter. God doesn't flatter. And here's the wonder of it. This word, made up of two parts, in you, in our, in our pronunciation, E-V, or we retain the E-U in the word eulogism, it means something that is well or good or acceptable. And the other one is to speak. Just that. God has spoken well of you. Won't you speak well of him? And it's not merely words that are in view. It's deeds as well. God hath spoken, so he says, Oh, let us speak well of God, who has spoken well of us. Now there must be one more word added to that, otherwise it would be a mockery. So I look to see. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, in Christ. There's no good saying with all spiritual blessings, no good saying in heavenly places, if you can't add the words, in Christ. But if, in Christ, then these others follow. Now there's another word, parallel to the Old Testament, that means happy. I think we must add that to our list before we go further. And they are found in Timothy, 1 Timothy and Titus. The first of Timothy, chapter 1, verse 11. We are a little bit hesitant in ascribing happiness to God. Uh, we must be careful, but we don't conceive the idea that things happen with regard to God. In, in our case, you see, a good deal of our happiness depends upon what happens, but not so with God. Nevertheless, the word that means happiness far more than it means blessing, is found in 1 Timothy 1.11. According to the glorious gospel of God, not merely who is blessed, but who is happy, which was committed to my trust. There must be some reason why Paul adopted that word instead of the one that he used in Ephesians. So we must allow for it when we're considering. God is so over and above all his works, he sees the end from the beginning. He's not distressed by the way in which things turn out sometimes badly. He's perfectly happy with regard to it. Because I believe the word happy has a view to the end product, not so much the beginning. And you might test that by looking at the next occurrence of this same word in Titus chapter 2.13. Titus chapter 2.13. The verse reads, looking for that blessed hope. Well, I don't, I don't suggest we should change it, but remember, this isn't the word that's given, that we got in Ephesians. This is the word happy. This has to do with the end. Where no more happenings can ever interfere or, or spoil. The true happiness. And you might notice that he's speaking there uh, to those who have received salvation in verse 11. He says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, then he goes to speak of the uh, separating element, like the Nazarite, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed, that happy hope, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. 
So there we've got the two words in Old Testament, Barak and Ashri in the Hebrew, Eulogitos and Macarius, blessed and happy. Well now, this word blessing is associated with the gospel. I think we ought to include that in our consideration. And we notice in the Roman epistle, chapter 4, he quotes from Psalm 32. Romans 4 will be sufficient. Romans 4 is discussing how this wonderful righteousness which has been made available to us through Christ can be received. And it's uh, well worth pondering that you have just, I've mentioned this before in these meetings, but it's well to remember, you can step through Romans, the first few chapters like this. Chapter 1, Righteousness Revealed. That's verses 1, that's verses 16 to 18. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Then chapters 2 and 3, Righteousness Required. Because it says, All the world brought in guilty before God. Then we have at the end of chapter 3, Righteousness ours via redemption, that God might be just and the justifier. And then chapter 4, how does it come to you? And if you're not interested in that, you're not interested in anything. You say, all this has been done and how is it mine? It's mine by reckoning. That's the word that we have here. So you will notice in verse 3 it is, it is translated counted. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. But in the next verse it's translated reckoning. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And so he can say in verse 6, Even the, as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So he says it three times over. And he could have said it many more times over, and we would agree with him. Oh, what a blessing to know sin forgiven. Oh, what a blessing to know that not, not only the negative has been accomplished, to take away, but the positive is also there to put on. For we don't stand naked in the presence of God. To be forgiven is half the story. To be justified is the complete one. The sin is taken away and the righteousness is imputed. And so we have the blessedness of the man who can stand in that position. Well then, of course, another feature that comes out, and I think it is well worth pondering, is that blessing is never given, really, to be hugged to yourself. We go back in mind to Genesis 12, when it says, God blessed Abraham and said that they should be a blessing. And that most astounding verse, I say astounding in prophecy, in the 19th chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Now before we turn to it, you do remember, don't you, that the two outstanding enemies of Israel were the Assyrians and the Egyptians. And you may imagine that when Israel entered into the glory of their high calling, the enemies, the Assyrians and the Egyptians would be subjected to the wrath of God. 
Well, here's something in Isaiah 19 that calls a halt to that and makes you really wonder how you're ever going to anticipate what God will do. Isaiah 19, the last few verses. Verse 23. In that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. Could you believe that? Well, it's written. Israel are going to be a third with those who were once their most bitter enemies, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. No wonder the Apostle Paul, looking at the end, said, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Here's one light that we do well to keep, even though we may not be able to fully enter into it or explain it. And then we've said that Abraham, he was blessed, that his people who were his descendants should be a blessing. Would you just look at the way the Lord speaks in Malachi chapter 3? Malachi chapter 3. He says here in verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I wonder how far that principle obtains with regard to ourselves. I think I very much doubt whether any of us would stand up and say, I fully enter into all that God intended when he said in Ephesians chapter 1, blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We can only look at it. We can wonder at it. But how far we can say we enter into it is a very different matter. And here may be another principle. The more we give, the more we shall have a capacity to receive, it's possible. We're not trying to buy it off of God, but this is the way he speaks. He says, you give me your little tithe, that's only a tenth, and I'll so give you a blessing, you wonder what to do with it. It'll be so overrunning. And now we'll come back to the epistle itself, the Ephesians, and look at it again from another angle. The blessings of the children of Israel were to do with their land, to do with the crops, to do with their herds, to do with their children, because they were to be an earthly people blessed in the earth. But here there's no such guarantee in Ephesians. It doesn't say that if you belong to the high calling of the church of the one body, you will never know what it is to suffer hunger, you will never know what it is to be without plenty of money because that's just the opposite of the truth. 
It doesn't follow that the person who's the best dressed in a meeting and apparently has more money than sense is the one who is nearest to God today. doesn't follow. On the other hand, it doesn't follow that the person who's up to his neck in misery is a better saint than anybody else. These things don't matter. Because we're now entering into a spiritual realm. And it says here, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. That's the emphasis. And even that doesn't give you exactly what God has said. He put it the other way around. All spiritual blessings is wonderful enough. But the wording is, he hath blessed us with every blessing that is spiritual. Well now we don't know where we are. How many blessings are spiritual? I don't know. But however many they are, they're yours. Every blessing that is spiritual. So there's something to bless God about there, isn't there? We are heirs to glory of which we've got very little means to compute yet. To know just what it all means. But it's all in that realm. Spiritual. And here's another thing. Where your blessings are, there will your warfare be. You've got that illustrated in the Old Testament. Children of Israel were going into the land of promise at long last. And they asked permission of this nation to go through. They say, we'll go on the highway, we'll go on our feet, we'll pay for our water, we'll pass right through. Meddle not with them, says God. Meddle not with them. And at last they come to the land of promise. And he says, contend with them. And that's the same word, meddle. So it says here, coming to the conclusion in Ephesians, that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. I've got to remember that our enemies are spiritual enemies. It says in chapter 6, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We haven't got to be taking up arms against flesh and blood. Verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places or heavenly places. Of course, we shall have opponents in the world in which we find ourselves, but they are not our legitimate foes. Our legitimate foes are connected with our calling. Spiritual blessings, spiritual foes. Well, then another thing, you see, here in verse 12, the word spiritual cannot mean holy. You couldn't say holy wickedness, could you? So it's in contrast to flesh and blood. Instead of flesh and blood blessings, instead of basket and store, you've got all spiritual blessings. And instead of having flesh and blood enemies, you've got spiritual enemies. And the only rather reference, as far as my memory serves me, in Ephesians, of the word spiritual, is in chapter 5, where he says, verse 18, Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So if we have spiritual blessings, we sing spiritual songs, and we have to look out for spiritual foes. Now there's a difficulty here that sometimes has to be carefully handled. Be filled with the Spirit. On the surface, that means you're going to be filled with the Spirit and bubbling all over with spiritual gifts. 
But the actual use of the word is as though if you've been staying with us downstairs to dinner, somebody said, can I fill your cup with this teapot? And you wouldn't say, who's a bit of magic? How are you going to get the teapot in the cup? No, no, no. The teapot is only the means of putting something into the cup and the spirit is the means of putting something in, not coming himself. Now you say, how do you know that? Oh, I've got first-hand information. Epistle to the Colossians. This is where comparing scripture with scripture is helpful. Chapter 3. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You see, that's the same thing, isn't it? I'll read it again in Ephesians so that we get the two together. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So where one epistle says, be filled with the Spirit, the other says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know what the Spirit is doing now. The Spirit is taking of the things of Christ and giving them to you. That's the work of the Spirit today. Not to speak of himself. Not to give you supernatural gifts. But to be sure that Christ is all and in all to you. That's a thing that's worth remembering with regard to our high calling. Christ is being ministered to us by the Spirit. And that is a part of this word, the use of this word, spiritual. And we go back again to chapter 1 of Ephesians, and we notice that it's given just that other definition. These blessings, of which we are concerned just now, are every blessing that is spiritual. And they are to be enjoyed somewhere, in heavenly places. Now, we must admit that the word places is not there. It's simply in the heavenlies. In the heavenlies. Uh, but, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, you'll find where those heavenlies are. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Far above all heavens. Chapter 1 of Ephesians. The mighty power which he wrought in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, in heavenly places, is where Christ sits at the right hand of God. And in that passage in Colossians, the word where is an adverb of place. Where Christ sits. Not merely a spiritual character down here on earth, but a spiritual sphere at the right hand of God. Would anyone in his senses say that to be blessed with Christ and seated together with him where he sits at the right hand of God is down here on earth? You say, yes, some people in their senses have said it. Well, their senses must be different from ours. Because Christ is not down here on earth. Christ is far above all heavens at the right hand of God. And that is the sphere of this people. So we've got blessings beyond dreams. We don't ask for them. They're ours. For we say, blessed be God who has blessed us. 
All these blessings are spiritual in their character and they're all to be enjoyed in heavenly places. So you're not enjoying one of them yet, friends, they're all yours in anticipation. You're only getting just now the blessings of a pilgrimage. But the blessings of a pilgrimage might be very, very useful and very, very fine, but you don't carry them into the glory. They're only to take you there. Just as God has given you bread and water and shoes for your feet, staff in your hand, and a guidance through day and night in your pilgrim journey, so a day is coming when you'll not need them. You won't need the staff, and you won't need all that, but you'll enter into a new sphere and a new glory, and then this is awaiting us. This is the blessed hope, which is the fulfilment of the blessings that are ours. And so we'll take the last words in Ephesians, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now notice the word in, verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him. And then uh, further on in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, in who? It's, a cons- it's an insistence in this epistle that these blessings are to be found in Christ and nowhere else. Well, now that is a part of the form of sound words if we would follow in the steps of this apostle who has been given us as our pattern. To rejoice in these blessings, to see some of the consequences of receiving it at the hand of God, to compare scripture with scripture and realise that we haven't yet the spiritual blessings down here. The blessings you have down here are those that God gives you as creatures on the earth until travelling days are done. But one day, we're going to have such a marvellous change that, um, as the Apostle has said, I have not seen nor ear heard. May we be able to enter in to the spirit of this passage and realise how wonderful it is that we should start our peculiar calling, not with asking for anything, but thanking God for everything. It makes me think of a story I've told you before, of an old man who used to sit at his front gate in a little cottage, and whizzing past his house were all the folks going for the day in their car, and somebody said, don't you feel a bit envious about these people? No, he said, why? He said, God is my Father, Christ is my Saviour, Heaven is my home, they can have the rest. I think you got something there, don't you? He wasn't asking for anything. He was blessing God for everything. It wouldn't be a bad plan if that was ours or my, what a different home mine would be and yours would be, excuse me, being rude, if we were always taking the attitude Blessed be God who hath blessed us 